Hello, everybody, and welcome to Christ in the Classroom, presented by Sophia Institute for Teachers. I'm your host, Jose Gonzalez. Um, with me, we will have a special guest tonight, Dr. John Seahorn from the Augusta Institute. I'll introduce him here uh, very shortly. Uh, thanks for joining us to, to, tonight, those who are live, uh, those who are listening at a later time. Uh, we hope you uh, enjoy this session. So tonight, we are going to focus on how to not fear, suffering, and death, memento mori. So uh, this is actually an ancient phrase um, that was often used by monks um, to one another as they greeted each other. Uh, and what it means is remember your death. What a very odd greet way to greet someone, right? Uh, but the reality is, is all of us at some point are going to die, every one of us. Uh, and for a Christian, that actually should lead to a different perspective, that we as Christians have a totally different perspective on death than the rest of the world. If you remember, if you, uh, I know this year, most of us were probably not, did not receive ashes right on the forehead, right? Um, some were sprinkled. I know where I went. We did not receive ashes on Ash Wednesday, uh, but the, the typical phrase that is used as ashes are put on our foreheads is remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. So given that it is the season of Lent, and I know we've talked about Lent um, in several of our, of our episodes so far this, this, uh, this year, I figured this was also a fitting topic for Lent because Lent reminds us of our uh, humanity, of our mortality, as we prepare for the great feast of our redemption that gives death and suffering its, its meaning and its proper place in our lives. Uh, I also think it's quite a fitting um, topic for us to reflect on, um, given how in your face death has been in our, in our culture and in our lives over the last year. Um, I wouldn't doubt that there are people listening who may have lost a loved one or seen a loved one greatly suffer or themselves greatly suffered uh, with this illness that is that has taken hold of our of our culture. Uh, and so as Christians, how can we face these realities, uh, these struggles with the proper mindset um, and with a way that that will draw us closer to uh, rather than away from our Lord Jesus? Uh, I want to pose this question, uh, do we live with the end in mind? As Catholics, do we live with heaven as the ultimate goal? Like, is that on the forefront of our minds that this world is passing, it is temporary, and I am a pilgrim on this journey, and I am destined for heaven. And if I want to get to heaven... Am I living my life with that as the end goal, right? I always used to tell my students, uh, you all, especially I would use the analogy of, of my athletes, like, you know, teaching in a Catholic school, I, I, I would imagine, especially those that teach high school, athletics are a big part of the culture in most Catholic high schools. That has been my experience. And so I would, I would often tell my students, on your sports team, do you live or do you practice and do you prepare only for that one for that one game or that one match 
or do you live really with the goal of that state championship in mind, right? Because coaches that coach you and train you and teams that train with just the objective of that one game or that one event are doing you a disservice because the ultimate goal is that state championship. So if we are living this life with simply getting excited for the you know next thing or the next step, while the Lord prepares us in stages for different moments in our lives, ultimately the goal is heaven. Do we live with that in mind? I want to just briefly share, I'm not going to go into too much detail because I think it, it would be beautiful for you guys to also look her up if you have not. Uh, there is a beautiful saint named Blessed Chiara Luce Badano. She actually is a fairly modern saint. She was, I believe she died, passed away in 1990. Um, so in, in the 90s, she passed away. Uh, I actually fell in love with her story um, when I was a young adult. And she so inspired me that um, I named my second daughter after her. Uh, she um, died at a very young age. She was a tennis player. She was athletic. Her, she, she was loved by her friends. And then she developed cancer. She developed leukemia. And the way she suffered was she suffered with great joy. As her hair would fall out from chemotherapy, she would lift it up and say, for you, Jesus. Uh, and, and she died with a smile on her face. When her friends would come and visit her to cheer her up, they would leave cheered up. She radiated joy and she asked her parents to bury her in a wedding gown, right? And she said, mom, be at peace, be happy because I'm happy. I'm going to be with Jesus. Those were her parting words, right? So this was a Christian who lived with the end in mind, right? She suffered with joy, which seems really, really odd to some of us and really, really hard. And so um, I just offer her as an example, and I encourage you, look her up, share her story with your students. Uh, I, I think it's a beautiful story to share. So as we begin um, with our guest speaker, I'd like to introduce Dr. John Seahorn, uh, who is Assistant Professor of Theology at the Augustan Institute. Good evening, John. Great to have you with us tonight. Thanks, Jose. Good to be here. All right. Well, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell the tell the tell tell those li those listening. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how much will be of, of much interest. Uh, uh, as as you mentioned, Jose, I'm here at the Augustan Institute uh, in beautiful Denver, uh, Colorado. I've been here for I guess this is my sixth year uh, living here in in Colorado with uh, my wife Sarah, and uh, we've got three kids uh, as of. Uh, just over a month ago, we um, we have a teenager, so uh, I, I greatly appreciate prayers. Oh yeah, you're entering that stage of of suffering in parenthood, then apparently. Indeed, indeed. No, um, no, my, my kids are great. <laughs> and, uh, a lot of my training is uh, is really in the theology of the early church. Um, although, if you kind of read between the lines, there you can see that I I really got into that um, because I was interested in learning to read the Bible well to re, uh, read the bible not only with um modern scholarship in mind but also with the mind of the church and uh, read it the way that the saints and the doctors have read it and so uh that's really going to actually inform a lot of uh of what i have to to share uh this evening um really kind of trying to take sacred scripture as as a starting point great uh so 
how do we start a conversation on death and suffering? What, um, as, as Christians, how do, how do we approach this topic? Uh, cause you know, I'm, it's not an easy one in today's culture. No, it's, it's not. And, um, it's not an easy one. I think really in, in any culture, um, this, this really is a perennial human problem. Uh, the riddle, uh, of, of suffering and of death. And I, I meant to thank you, Jose, by the way, uh, for inviting me to talk about something so easy and breezy, uh, you know, a real, real piece of cake here. Um, but no, in all seriousness, it, it is a, a very difficult thing um, to talk about. And, and it's something that people approach in a lot of different ways. Um, I think many of us, especially in modern Western societies where um, we've largely found ways uh, as far as we can to sort of separate ourselves uh, from death and dying. Um, and so often, I think we really do our best to ignore it, right? Um, but of course, that, that only lasts so long, right? Uh, suffering uh, comes to all of us. Death ultimately comes to all of us and to all of our loved ones. And it's something that we're, we're finally faced with. And so all of the great uh, cultures of, uh, of human history have had different approaches to this question of suffering and death. And, and there's really a range, right? Um, you, you might say on, on one end, you could have um, you know, a kind of broadly Buddhist approach that says, look, you know, this, this life really is suffering and ultimately it's not real, it's an illusion. And so there's a kind of complete uh, resignation to it. In fact, uh, in, in some forms of, of Buddhism, uh, there are, there are uh, self-immolation is a kind of like supreme way uh, of showing your, your state of spiritual uh, progress, right? Um, and on the other hand, uh, at, at the other extreme, we have this kind of raging against, um, against, against the night, right? Against the darkness of suffering and death. And I think we see that in a new way in our period when, when we have the transhumanist movement and we have, uh, we have, we have scientists who are in all seriousness um, researching ways to download, or I guess you would upload your consciousness, your mind uh, onto a hard drive, right? So that when, when your hardware uh, wears out, you can achieve uh, immortality in that way, right? So th this incredible range of ways that, um, that we react to it, but what's really striking, um, again, is the, is the fact that we see it as a problem, as something to be uh, addressed, right? Um, you might think, well, look, I mean, we're, we're animals, our bodies uh, corrupt, this is just the natural way of things, and, you know, why does this, why does this bother us uh, so much? Well, as with, with any um, sort of uh, basic human question, basic human problem, uh, the Bible is very much aware of this. And um, uh, there's a, a verse that, that uh, I mean, any, any number I could have chosen, but one that I often like uh, to bring up in order to talk about this, and it's, it's from 2 Samuel. And this is actually in the context of a really interesting story. We won't go into it. It's, it's kind of complicated, but there's a, a wise woman who is um, who's speaking here and addressing King David. And, uh, and she says to him, we all must die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. And I've always found that to be such a powerful image uh, for that experience and almost one of panic when you feel your life passing by or you see um, the, the life of your loved ones uh, passing by and, and that sense of it, it being like water, you can't, you can't gather it back up, right? It's like water that's poured out on uh, the ground. And, and again, um, uh, we, this is something that we see sacred scripture wrestling with 
as a problem. We can see that, especially I think in uh, in the Psalms, um, there are some beautiful Psalms that um, in which the, the psalmist prays to God about the shortness of our life in this question of, you know, what does it mean? And, and asking God for the right perspective, right? Just as you were, you were talking about earlier, uh, Jose, we also see it um, maybe most vividly in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which can be kind of a depressing read, right? But that is really trying to face head on this reality that um, our lives uh, are finite and uh, that even our greatest accomplishments um, can sort of fade away uh, into nothing uh, over time. So as I said, the, the Bible really, really wrestles with this question. So we might say, well, what, what answer does it give? And, uh, and, and um, kind of address that uh, as with anything else, um, you know, uh, the Bible is going to point uh, to Christ, right? And um, we know, of course, that, that Jesus came to reveal to us his father, to reveal uh, God to us fully. But what we don't always think about um, as much is the fact that he also came to reveal ourselves to us, right? This is actually something that the Second Vatican Council taught very beautifully, and uh, St. John Paul II never tired of repeating this passage from um, uh, one of the, the documents from Vatican II, that, um, that Christ didn't only come to reveal God to us, but that he came to reveal us to ourselves, that we don't fully know ourselves until we see, uh, we see Christ. And this applies in a special, in an especially poignant way, to these questions of suffering and death. And so uh, we've got this, this quotation here, a little later in that, in that same section, uh, where Vatican II says, through Christ and in Christ, the riddles of sorrow and death grow meaningful. And I, I want to sort of pause just for a moment on that on that, that phrase, grow meaningful, right? Because what, what it doesn't say is the riddles of suffering and death are perfectly solved and they become very easy and it's child's play and it's no problem, right? It doesn't say through Christ and in Christ, the riddles of suffering and death are eliminated, but rather they grow meaningful, right? Um, but Christ doesn't sort of just, just come to eliminate uh, our suffering and death, um, right? We, we can think about uh, uh, when, um, when Jesus begins uh, teaching his disciples about his upcoming passion. And, you know, what he doesn't say is, put down those crosses, boys, I got this, right? He says, take up your cross, and follow me. And, uh, and, uh, and St. Peter himself, uh, later on writing in a letter, uh, has really sort of uh, imbibed this, um, this, this lesson from Jesus. And so he writes to, the, to, uh, to his audience and to us, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. And the, the word that's translated there as example uh, can also be translated as model or pattern, right? Um, he, he left us a pattern so that we might follow in his steps. Um, and again, I, I have to imagine this was really vivid for Peter, right? Because he's the one, when Jesus talked about his own suffering and death, who said, no, never, not you. And Jesus called him Satan and said, get behind me. You don't know what you're talking about, right? So this was a lesson that Peter himself had learned very deeply. And of course, that Peter was going to live out um, really profoundly uh, according to tradition, uh, Peter was crucified upside down in the city of Rome. So he actually did follow in Jesus's footsteps um, in, in this way. Okay, so, so, so you know, 
I could see a student kind of pushing back. I mean, obviously you're not gonna, with, with our students, we may not explain it with the same level of depth that you just did, but I could see a student going, okay, well then if, if Jesus makes suffering meaningful, does he make it good then, right? Is suffering and death good? Do, should, should I should I go after suffering because it's a good thing, you know? Yeah. Um, no, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I think the first thing to say that actually, if we are going to look to Christ as our model about how we should approach suffering and death, actually, the first lesson we should learn from him is that, no, in themselves, suffering and death are not good things. Death is bad, right? This is something we already read in the Old Testament in, uh, in the book of wisdom, uh, we read that God did not make death and he does not delight in the death of the living. This was not part of God's original plan for humanity. Now it's true that naturally speaking, you look at our bodies, we're naturally corruptible, we're naturally mortal, we're capable of suffering and death. But we also know because of what God has revealed to us uh, that, that we were made for harmony within ourselves harmony with others and with all creation and a harmony with God, right? That, that actually would have resulted in, uh, in immortality. And yet that's been disrupted uh, by sin, right? Uh, St. Paul tells us in Romans chapter five that it's through sin that death has entered the world because that harmony uh, was disrupted so that these natural processes of corruption, just of our bodies uh, breaking down, right? Um, they, they take their effect um, and they're bad because they're out of step with what God intended for us. And Jesus himself bears witness to this when we see him in, um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? The agony in the garden before his passion, he, he's about to be arrested. He, he knows the sufferings that he's about to, uh, to endure. And what does he say? He prays to the Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, right? And, and we know that this was not because, uh, and we're about to see this really powerfully, that Jesus was disobedient uh, toward the Father or unwilling uh, to die for us. And yet there was a natural uh, revulsion from death, right? Because Jesus, even in his perfect humanity, recognized that death uh, in itself is an evil, right? The separation of soul and body, the separation of what God intended uh, to be in, in, in this perfect unity uh, in harmony. So yes. that's the first thing to say, right? Is that, that, that it's bad. Death is bad. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's, it's a reminder of, of, of the consistency with, with what the church has taught with original sin, right? That original, that death is a punishment or, or a result of original sin. Uh, therefore it didn't have to be this way, but it is. So he's got to do something with death. Um, right to, to give it a purpose and a meaning rather than just it being the end. Right. Yep. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to say that he's got to do something with it. Right. And, um, and this is where it gets, you know, there, there's a lot here to meditate on a lot more than we can cover just, you know, in, in the brief time we have today, but, um, you know, God in his omnipotence could have just taken it back could have just ended death on his own, right? But instead, as, as you said, he, he does something with it. And, and we're gonna see what he does with it uh, in, in Christ, right? So death, which on its own is bad, nevertheless can be transformed. And this is what we're gonna see Jesus do actually right there 
just finishing the sentence that we started on the last slide in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He, he had said, my father, if it's, if it's possible, let this cut pass from me, let me not undergo this suffering and death. He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he makes this incredible act of loving obedience to his father, right? Out of love for his father, but also out of love for us on whose behalf he's undergoing this death, right? Jesus himself was not a sinner. Jesus himself uh, had not incurred uh, th this, this penalty uh, of death for sin, right? And yet he freely chose to come into our, our condition, into our mortality, um, to suffer with us, right? And to suffer for us. And the result of this is in fact our salvation. And so uh, as St. Paul says in, um, uh, in Romans 5, I mentioned just a minute ago that earlier in Romans 5, he had said, right, that, that uh, death came into the world through sin. Uh, that was in chapter 5, verse 12. Here in verse 19, he says, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, he's referring, of course, to the fall of Adam. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And there he's talking about uh, Christ, uh, whom he also refers to as the second Adam, right? And so instead of, of just sort of undoing the sin of Adam, right? Jesus is, you can almost say, going through it, right? He's entering completely into uh, our suffering and our death, uh, not in order to just draw us back from it, but in order to go through the other side, you could say, and in fact, uh, to conquer it. All right. So... How does he transform death? How does he conquer it? Well, you know, how exactly does he do this? I know that can get get kind of deep, but very deep. You know, how? <laughs> how does he do that? Right? Yeah. yeah, really good question. Right. So, I mean, we we sort of started to touch on it um, uh, in in the last the last little bit, but I think the first thing to point out is simply uh, the fact of his resurrection. Uh, from the dead, right? One of the, one of the most beautiful and I think encouraging verses to meditate on, it comes just from a little bit later in the letter to the Romans, uh, where St. Paul writes that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So I guess really, Jose, I'm not answering your question quite yet uh, uh, about <laughs> how he transforms death. What, what, I'm, what I'm saying first is just the extent of his, his conquest of death. Right. Um, sometimes we talk about Christ's resurrection um, almost like along the lines that uh, we might talk about uh, the raising of, say, Lazarus. Right. So Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised Jairus's daughter from the dead. He raised uh, the son of the widow of Nain from dead. Right. We have these miracles where Jesus raises people from the dead. But all of those people eventually died again. Right. And so there's something unique about Jesus's uh, resurrection, that his encounter with death uh, has not left the situation the same as it was before. But in fact, in a definitive way, he has conquered death. So Christ being raised from the dead, unlike Lazarus, unlike the, the, the son of the widow of Nain, unlike the daughter of Jairus, he'll never die again. Death no longer has mastery over him, right? He's no longer uh, 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 subject to it. Um, there's a, there's a beautiful um, line that the, the Eastern Christians use uh, during Easter uh, when, they're, when they're celebrating Christ's resurrection, and they say that he has trampled down death by his death, you know, which is sort of beautifully 
paradoxical, right? That by entering into death, Jesus has in fact uh, conquered death, which is what we'll celebrate um, at Easter, right? And and that not only has has Jesus conquered death, He's invited us to share in that victory. You talked earlier about uh, you know keeping your eyes on the prize, keeping the end in mind, always remembering your death and you know what what it is that we're living toward. And I, I think, and this is actually something that uh, that Saint John Paul II, when he when he wrote about suffering, which he did really profoundly, we talked about Christian suffering and death. Um, he really emphasized that we won't be able to cultivate um, a truly Christian approach to suffering and death unless we also remember how glorious that end is that we're living for. Right, the glory yeah. of entering definitively into the joy. Of God's kingdom, right? Entering into the very life of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit as God's beloved sons and daughters. And so, I also wanted to to put up yet one more verse from uh, from Paul's letter to the Romans, um, right? Because it's Paul actually calling Roman Christians in the first century to this perspective, where he says, "I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing, as serious as they are." And 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 few people knew suffering as much as Paul did. Right. He talks about it extensively in his second letter to the Corinthians, all the sufferings uh, that he had undergone uh, as an apostle. But he says these sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Right. So that that glorious victory that Christ has won over death is something that he also uh, wants to share with us. I think that's such a beautiful sentiment, not sentiment, just a beautiful reminder that Paul gives us and that that you've brought up because how many of us really reflect on that glory? Like what awaits us, what awaits us is beyond our wildest dreams. Like it's going to be absolutely incredible. And I know I, for one, don't think about that enough. And I know our students sure as heck are not encouraged to think about that enough uh, because, and granted, I know it's not easy, but I think if, if that reality right there that you talk about is before us and we're constantly fixed on the glory that awaits us, then anything we face in this life it can be faced with a little bit more um, gumption with a little more, uh, you know, grace, you know, and, and, and it really, I think it puts, puts things in, in the proper perspective of, of, yeah, I think that's right. And, and I think it's, it's worth, it's worth maybe even lingering over that point uh, just for another moment, because um, I think this is one place where a lot of, of non-Christians, uh, will say, well, isn't that nice that you've got this fairy tale about pie in the sky? You've got this crutch that makes things, you know, seem a little bit more bearable to you. And there simply is no denying that believing this verse takes a lot of faith. Oh, yeah. We, we really have to believe uh, what God has revealed to us in Christ. And, you know, earlier I quoted from 1 Peter chapter 2. You back up just a little bit to chapter 1. It talks about how God has raised Jesus from the dead and given him glory so that our faith and hope are in God, right? And and anchored in him. And I think we don't do anyone any favors by kind of downplaying how much faith that takes. Like when you think about maybe the suffering that you've gone through, 
I think especially about certain sufferings that, that people I love that I've, I've watched them go through. And, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I can tell you this, this, this is something we have to wrestle with and wrestling with this in prayer and, and begging God for the grace to have that faith and have that hope to really believe this, to say, no, God, I, I believe that you know our sufferings, that Jesus knows the depths of our sufferings and that you really have conquered them. And that, and that there is this glory that, that you're calling us to. Well, that's that's the faith of of blessed Chiara that I mentioned at the beginning. You, you 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 can't suffer through a disease like that and not have this kind of faith. Absolutely, know? yeah. No, she she's a spectacular example. Yeah, excellent. Well, and so then you know, um, if if it is the case that that God's calling us into this, right? What does that look like? How does that happen uh, concretely? And um, and concretely, the answer that the church gives. It might seem almost anticlimactic, but it's through our baptism, right? Maybe I should have maybe stayed with my St. Paul to the Romans jam, but I brought in some other some other Paul here. But if I'd gone back to Romans in chapter six, where I, I, I gave you chapter six, verse nine, that's beautiful line where he says that we know that, that Christ, uh, um, having died, dies no more. His death no longer has dominion over him. If you rewind from there a little bit, what Paul's actually talking about is our baptism. Because in baptism, invisibly, sacramentally, in a way that it's hard for us to get our minds around, we believe that we have died with Christ. We've been united to his death, right? And, um, and, and so I love the, the, the way that, that Paul talks about this reality here in a different letter, in the letter to the Colossians. Uh, where where he says to them, you have died. You have died. If you've put your faith in Christ, if you've entered into those waters of baptism, you have died with Christ. And your true life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Right? And if we think, well, what does that mean? Like, here I am, Paul. Like, I'm, I'm still, and Paul, Paul knows that, right? We're still living in this flesh, in this world, in this life. But Paul says that, that inwardly, spiritually, we've already died to this world, to the passions of this world. And if you keep reading in Colossians, he's going to use this, as this reality of baptism as a kind of springboard to tell the Colossians how they could live. And it's really beautiful, right? He talks about putting away all these things, um, you know, these, these, these sinful habits that we have, and especially... Um, the way that we fail to love each other, the way that we gossip, the way that we backbite, the way that we take revenge, things like that, and says, look, none of that, none of that should matter anymore. You're living in this new reality of a life in Christ that has already defeated death. And, and what you find comes with that is this incredible freedom, right? If I have died and I know that my true life is the one that is hidden with Christ in God. And that's the reality I'm living toward, just like you were saying, Jose, right? Keeping our eyes on the end. Then all of a sudden, I have this incredible freedom. I have a freedom to love with self-abandon. I have a freedom to serve self. I'm not saying I actually do all these things very well, right? But I know that it's what I'm called to as a baptized Christian, right? Uh, To serve selflessly, to give myself, right? Just like Christ did. And remember, just go back to the beginning. Christ is the pattern for this. And what did he say? He said that 
He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life uh, as, as a ransom for many. And so that means we can also enter into Christ's loving obedience to the Father's will, which is exactly what transformed death in the first place. And so now my suffering doesn't have to be meaningless. My death doesn't have to be just this sort of dead end, right? Because it can be united uh, to, to Christ's suffering and death so that our suffering and death become a sacrifice, become a gift, a gift of love, uh, first of all, to the God who loved us first, and then through that, um, uh, a gift a gift to others, right? And um, and so what's what's beautiful about that is when you read Paul, he'll talk a lot about being dead with Christ. You're like, wow, this guy's morbid. But he talks just as much about already having entered into Christ's life, this, this, this resurrection life, which is why the fruit of the Spirit is not going around being gloomy and being like, well, I'm going to die one day and I got to No, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. And it goes on from there, right? Um, and, and, and actually, this is, this is the secret of the joy and the peace that we see in the saints, because they know that the meaning of a Christian life is not that it can be packaged into a Hallmark, Hallmark movie, right? With this nice beginning, right? It's still true that we're like water poured on the ground. Think about, you know, sometimes we're blessed to maybe have grandparents or other, other loved ones who've been able, who've been blessed to live long and fruitful lives, maybe doing a, you know, a career that was meaningful work to them, uh, surrounded by a great family. But we all also know, and maybe we, this is us, people whose lives are a mess, people who, who suffer seemingly meaninglessly, who, who, um, you know, who are oppressed, whose freedoms are taken away, who do work that might feel uh, meaningless, like it's going nowhere. We know lives that are apparently inexplicably cut short, right? Children uh, who, who suffer and die. And it's so hard to make sense of that. Right, and to me, what's so beautiful about the biblical approach to death is that we don't have to try to force some sort of hallmark movie meaning out of all those lives, because we know that Jesus has taken all those lives. He actually has taken all that water that spills on the ground, and through the power of His love, has actually gathered it back up to Himself. Right, and so the the meaning of Christian life and Christian suffering and Christian death, right? Those riddles of suffering and death that, that grow in meaning through Christ, it happens because they're united to his story, which ultimately is the story of everything. It's the story that God uh, is telling with all of his creation and all of his work of salvation. Yeah, it, beautiful. And I think, uh, I think uh, the letters of Paul and the Acts of the Apostles especially are, are, are both beautiful books to meditate on the power of faith and the power of life in Christ of people who, who are just going to live their lives as Christians and are, are ready to face death when it comes, you know, that, that um, they're, they're not necessarily looking for it, but they're not afraid of it either because they know the promise that awaits them. Uh, yeah. And I mean, and you actually can see Paul like wrestling with this and he even talks about how, if it were really up to him, he's like, I'm ready, Lord. I want to be with you, but I also want to serve you, right? right and so right. he was able to be content. If God asked him to live longer, great. If he asked him to suffer, fine, right? 
the key thing was that he had found that love and peace and joy in Christ. Yeah, great. So let's talk a little bit about how we can take this very heavy concept and how do we bring it to our students? How do we um, essentially discuss this in a way? Um, sure, I'm not talking about just one lesson on this. I'm talking about permeating our teaching in a way that reflects this joy that helps our students have a worldview that's different than out there. And and, and one of those things at the very top is talk about heaven, right? Do you talk about heaven to your students? And no matter what age, right? Heaven is a beautiful thing to discuss with all ages, right? Um, little kids, high school students, middle school students, we have to talk about heaven. We have to talk about it in a way that is exciting and that we want to go there, right? I mean, I know we all probably pose the have posed the question to our students, who wants to go to heaven? And you know, every hand shoots up and it's all just a great um, idea and a great discussion. But the reality is, is um, do we talk about the glory that awaits us? There's so many beautiful passages in scripture that talk about the beauty of heaven and the beauty that awaits us. So to, to refer to those passages, to talk about um, an, another great image of heaven that I love is, is a wedding feast, right? That's the, that's the image in the book of Revelation. Uh, to talk about it in that way, I mean, who hasn't been to a great wedding reception that they just wish would go, had, had gone on and on? Um, and, and talk about heaven in those terms. And, and, and this is where we get to be in perfect communion with God and each other for all eternity, right? Uh, this is the glory that awaits us. Uh, talk about the cross though, too, because the cross is as St. Rose of Lima. So beautifully, beautifully put it. Um, the only ladder to heaven is the cross, right? So the cross is our way to heaven. Now that the heaviness of that it might wait for older kids, but, but I think there's ways to sneak it in, in simple ways with the younger kids too, right? To let them know, you know, that, that suffering is part of life and Jesus is there to help them through their sufferings, right? I mean, I talk about this with my six and eight-year-old sometimes when they're, when they get hurt or when they are struggling with school and they're frustrated and it's just, these are difficulties. Life has difficult moments. I get your frustration. Let's pray and give it to Jesus. Let's put it on his cross, right? To, to focus on the cross and that our sufferings and our difficulties, that none of them are too big for, for, for Christ and that we should unite them to his, to his cross, to his sufferings. Um, tell the stories of saints who suffered well. Um, I gave you the example of one. There are many, many others. Look up their stories. Share those stories with your students. Um, particularly, um, you know, look for young saints as well. Um, and there's ways I know some of them, the stories can can be a little bit um, bit horrific, you, you know, that you, you have Maria Goretti, you don't necessarily need to go into the details of how many times she was stabbed with younger kids, but you can talk about the, the joy that she had and how she was really willing um, to, to suffer for her faith. You have Dominic Savio. I mean, there's so many saints out there who suffered well and who have beautiful stories. And so I, I invite you to look those up and share those with your students. Tell stories of the martyrs, right? particularly as they get older. 
those are some intense stories and they're beautiful stories. These are stories of people who knew the hope they had, who were willing to die for the faith. Uh, and I don't think we share those stories enough with our students. Um, they need to hear those. Be in the world, but not of the world, right? This is where you come in as your witness, but how you can encourage your students with the reality that Yes, we're in this world. We're, we're pilgrims on a journey, um, but we're not meant for this world. And, you know, particularly um, middle school, high school students, death is the last thing on their mind a lot of times, which is why it's so jarring when you experience, um, when they experience the death of a grandparent or they experience the death of a classmate. You know, as a high school teacher in my time as a high school teacher, um, there were five students in my 10 years that, that we laid to rest for various reasons, plane crashes, car accidents, um, uh, seizures in the middle of the night, um, just very tragic uh, experience of suicide as well. Um, uh, and so all of those things really can really jar, um, jar your students. And, and I think those are opportunities um, to, to talk about the hope we have in Christ in the midst of those situations, the hope that he, that awaits us, that awaits them. Um, I beautifully heard a, heard a friend talk about, so I have good friends here in town who um, lost two children in the span of about 10 years, both to epileptic seizures in the middle of the night that, uh, that, that caused them, caused them to die both young. One, when he was in high school, he was actually in my class at the time. And the other, I also taught who, who passed away uh, in his, in his early twenties. Uh, and they have one other son uh, and they just have such a witness. Their faith is so strong. And he talks about how the most beautiful and powerful thing is for him to go to mass with his family on Sunday mornings, because he knows that's when they're all there together. They're there together in the, in the mass at the, the sacrifice of the mass. He knows his sons who have gone before him are present in the Eucharist, in that Eucharistic celebration with him and his family. Um, like that is somebody whose feet are planted in this world, but whose heart is in the next. He knows he knows where his children are and he knows where he is headed. Um, so be in the world and not of the world. Pray for the souls in purgatory. Do so you make that a, uh, a, a common thing? Because here's the beautiful thing about purgatory. Um, first of all, we should never aim there because if we miss, we don't want to go, go that, other, that other place. But purgatory, um, the beautiful thing about purgatory is if we end up there, we're going to heaven. But I always tell people, I'm like, you know, never assume if I die, please don't assume I'm in heaven. Pray for my soul, pray for my soul. Because if I'm in purgatory, I'm going to need your prayers to, to, to endure that suffering and get out. Do we keep that in mind as a, as a, as a request, uh, as a, as a prayer request? So in, in our classes to make it a habit, maybe once a week to, we're going to offer our prayers today for the poor souls in purgatory um, and, and lift them up in their suffering so that they can be re released into eternity, into uh, the beatific vision. Pray for the conversion of sinners right, regularly. Um, this helps frame the mindset of why is sin such a big deal? Why do we pray for the conversion of sinners? Not simply because we want them to agree with us and come to our side. No, like we want them 
to experience the love of Jesus Christ so that their souls end up in heaven someday as well. So if, we, if that's a practice that we can do in our class, I pray for the conversion of sinners or I pray for the conversion of X, Y, and Z. Um, if, if, if students want to share those intentions, um, praying for those things helps keep our mind on the end goal. Because why are we praying for sinners? We're praying for them to get to heaven, right? To experience God's mercy here so that they can get to where we're going in the next life. So we come to the part of our of our of our series where I always um, we at Sophia Institute for Teachers we love referencing pop culture um, and and pop culture suggestions because they're um, they're great ways um, you, you know the the culture is what it is uh, we're not always going to beat it so where where can we find the good in it um, to to help elevate our own faith uh, and to help elevate the faith of our students. Uh, and so uh, I asked Dr. Seahorn, as I've asked all our guests, do you have any good book, movie, or music suggestions for, for our listeners um, that, that they could enjoy? Uh, well, that's a great question, Jose. Um, boy, well, thinking about this, this particular topic, I mean, there are a lot of, of course, um, great films, uh, as well as pieces of music that have, um, that have addressed this. Uh, you know, especially if, if you can find settings of, uh, of the passion, that's a beautiful way uh, using music to meditate on the mystery of the Lord's death. Um, but if, if I'm thinking a little bit, a little bit more contemporary and outside the box, um, yeah, you know, one movie, I'm not sure if enjoy is the right word for it, but a movie that I very much appreciated and uh, recommend if you haven't seen it, um, it, it came out a few years ago now, um, A Quiet Place with uh, oh, beautiful. John, yeah, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. And, um, it, you know, if you're familiar a little bit, at least with the, pre the premise, you know that it sort of superficially presents itself almost as a horror movie. And I'm not a fan of horror movies in particular. Uh, but um, but what, I, what I found when I, when I saw this film, first of all, it's, it's very well made. And uh, the acting is superb. And there's a, there's a special added layer to all of what I'm gonna say, uh, if you know that John Krasinski and Emily Blunt uh, are married in real life and are parents. Um, and what, what the movie really is, um, you know, the, the kind of uh, horror element, um, it, is, it really is just sort of, um, in some ways it's, it's uh, peripheral to what the movie's about. The movie's about this family and it's about guilt and suffering and redemption, uh, and ultimately about self-giving love, uh, which is why uh, I, I especially recommend this, um, especially the, the, the way that you see the parents uh, um, in, uh, interact with one another, and the way that you see them suffer um, and give themselves out of love uh, to each other, and then especially uh, to their children. So it's, it's a little bit of a, an off-the-wall uh, suggestion, I think, but, um, but that's that's my pick. That that's a gr a great movie. Uh, I I found it equally very very profound. I would not necessarily recommend uh, watching oh, no, that one. Not age appropriate for young children. Yeah, no. Yes yes more 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 uh, more a meditation for ourselves. Maybe you could pull it off with permission slips and some seniors in high school. But uh but but outside of that, I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Uh, but very. Um, there are some clips in it you could show without 
without showing the whole movie in class. It's they're, worth they're mentioning too that, as far as I remember, there's no there's no foul language in it. There's nothing uh, sort of sexually appropriate. It's just frightening and uh, a little bit graphically so uh, sometimes. Yeah. So um, yeah, that, that is something to keep in mind. I wouldn't yeah. show it to my kids. Not yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that's a great. That's an excellent movie choice. Um, so, uh, Heidi, do we have any uh, questions uh, from from the audience at this point? I do not have any questions in my chat box. Okay. Anybody have any questions? Well, we can take a moment if you want to uh, throw anything in the chat box real quick. Or, Ooh, that's a that's that's a good one. Um, how do we ex how do you explain that reincarnation is not acceptable or, or or that we don't we don't why don't we believe how does reincarnation not fit in the christian worldview that's a that's a really good question um uh and there are a number of ways to approach this so um if you want to if you want to uh, approach it from uh, a more philosophical point of view uh there are ways there are ways that you can do this some of the ancient philosophers thought that it might be a possibility uh, I, I would recommend um, looking at Thomas Aquinas. I can't say I've mastered his argument uh, off the top of my head, uh, <laughs> but um, but you know, from a biblical uh, point of view, what I what I really think you point to um, is the fact that God did not make us as souls trapped in bodies; that we are we are body soul unities, and that um, that our goal ultimately is not simply for our souls to go to heaven and for our bodies to decompose into nothing. Um, our, our ultimate hope actually is the resurrection of the body and to be restored into that, that integral wholeness that God made us for. Because here again, our model is Christ uh, who was raised with the very same body. Um, this is one of the reasons why it's so moving that in, uh, in John chapter 20, after he's risen from the dead, uh, he, he, shows, um, he shows his wounds uh, uh, to, to the disciples. It's the very same body that, that hung on the cross. And in the same way, this is another beautiful thing to meditate on. Um, uh, St. Augustine has talked about this and the saints have speculated on this, that, that different ways that we have suffered in our bodies um, out of love will, will still be preserved in heaven, um, but in a kind of glorious way, right? And, and in a way that you know, it's we can kind of speculate about it, but but that it'll be it'll be clear how our bodies have borne uh, the love of God in this life. Um, so that that would be one way to approach it to say that that God didn't make us as souls that you can just jump from body to body, but that our bodies are part of who we are, right? They're not just kind of like vehicles for us. Right. Yeah, and I think um, you know we can look to, for example. Um, the ascension and the assumption of the blessed virgin mary as as key key things that point away from that belief in reincarnation absolutely well. absolutely so yeah all right any other questions i have one in the chat box jose okay great what do you for got those, uh for those students who have troubled lives and families it is sometimes difficult to portray heaven as the wonderful place that it is and worry about these students in these situations contemplating suicide so that they can leave the lives they cur they can leave the lives they currently leave or lead. How can we teach this uh, teach with this in mind? That's that's a really really good question. Um, I think this is one of the reasons why it's so important not to present uh, the story of redemption, the promise of redemption, uh, as this kind of 
pie in the sky, right? This is not about escaping the realities of, of our world, um, but about accepting them, not by saying toughen up and accept them, but by receiving the help and the mercy of our Lord who entered into them. And, um, you know, and it, it might be nice to have some passages to share with those students, to talk about the fact that our Lord knew our sorrows deeply. One of, um, grab a Bible here, one of, one of my favorites for this that I, I find really, um, really beautiful is in Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, uh, which is actually a quotation from the book of Isaiah. Um, but uh, but it, it just says that, that he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Um, and of course, we can apply this not just to physical illnesses, but to the really acute um, wounds that, uh, that, that sometimes we or our students uh, suffer mentally um, and spiritually, but, but to know that the Lord is close to them in that um, and that with his help, with his mercy, um, uh, uh, he will carry them through. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and yeah, I'll just kind of say ditto to, to what, what Dr. Seahorn said. Really, it's, it's, it's a matter of, um, I, I think that's the big thing to keep in mind with teaching, um, especially as kids get older, um, building those relationships and, and really journeying with them um, and, and those that are, that are troubled and struggling, finding ways to help them and point them in the right direction. Uh, and, and really show them that uh, the, the love of Christ is, uh, is, is unconditional and that, you know, it's not an easy situation for them to be in those, in those, in those rough patches uh, or in those especially rough homes, shall we say. Uh, it's not fair uh, and acknowledging their hurt, uh, but also helping them see that um, Christ will, will guide them through this and they will move beyond this eventually. Um, so, all right. Well, thank you all. Great questions. Um, lots to ponder on, lots to think about tonight. Um, next week, we'll be back um, 6.30 to 7.30 Eastern live, uh, or uh, or if, if you're listening to the podcast uh, or, or, the, or the videos a couple days after that. Uh, the topic next week will be the teacher as, uh, as witness. And then next week as well on Monday, if you would like to join us, we're going to take a deeper dive preparing for Easter, a virtual retreat for teachers and catechists that will take place next Monday uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, the cost for that is $9.99, but you get a special discount code CITC50 for 50% off. Um, Dr. Seahorn's colleague, Dr. Ben Akers, will be joining us next week. Uh, and uh, it'll, you'll have that one will be a little more interactive, give you a chance to, to get into breakout rooms with colleagues. And so please um, take a moment to register and join us for that if you have time on Monday. Uh, if you need a PD certificate or uh, to request one for this episode or any others, uh, sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC certificates. Uh, and as a reminder, we do uh, distribute certificates on the 1st and 15th of every month. Uh, and so if you get your request in before, um, before next Monday, uh, you'll, you'll, get it, you'll get it by next Monday. Uh, it, for free lessons on today's theme, as well as all the other themes that we've talked about, you can find those at sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC lessons uh, and find those uh, uploaded there. 
And then please um, subscribe and give us a review on any of these platforms. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, all their podcast formats, as well as YouTube and Vimeo. And uh, please check out our website if you have not done so for more uh, free resources. Uh, thank you uh, for joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure. Dr. Seahorn, thank you again for joining us. And uh, we hope uh, that you will tune in uh, next week for another session of Christ in the Classroom. God bless everybody. Thank you for participating in this week's episode of Christ in the Classroom. In order to request a professional development certificate, please visit sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC certificates. In order to access the free lesson with today's theme, as well as show notes, please visit sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC lessons. Thank you and God bless you.